0: Welcome into the Sunday Nighter on the Talking Tide podcast. I am Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television, along with Travis Ryer, the senior analyst at BamaOnline.com, the daily host of Southern Fried Sports Radio at 100.9 FM in Tuscaloosa, 11 and noon on weekdays. The Talking Tide Twitter feed, of course, is Talking underscore Tide. And you can get our twice-weekly podcast throughout the football season at our web host, which is podbean.com. It's also available on four different platforms, including iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. We've got three fine sponsors for the program, Heat Pizza Bar, Southern Alehouse, and North River Dental Associates. We'll be talking about them a little bit later in the program. We, of course, kick things off here on uh, the Sunday Nighter, Travis, with a recap of a 52 to 46, pretty thrilling win by the Crimson Tide over the Florida Gators in the SEC Championship game. We talked about this on the midweek podcast about how Florida's offense just might be able to keep up, and uh, for the most part, it did. Uh, Alabama had uh, a lead that got as large as 18 points, I think, at two different points in the game. They were up by 18, but You know, Florida showed up and played a little defense in that third quarter, Travis, and and gave Alabama a goose egg on the scoreboard in that quarter. And that's how this thing ended up getting
1: tight. It did. You know, Alabama, you felt like the end of the second quarter, right there before the half, Florida goes in to cut it to 28-17. And then in less than 90 seconds, the Alabama offense answers with a touchdown march of its own. And at 35-17, you're feeling pretty good about things there to open the third quarter chase. But you know, Alabama at times has wobbled a little bit out of the halftime break. Uh, even games like Mississippi State, you saw it uh, last month. And that was the case again. Give Florida credit defensively for getting off the field a couple of times. And you know once... Once uh, Kyle Trask hit Trayvon Grimes on the deep ball there for 51 yards over Patrick Sertan II to cut that thing to 35-24 in the third quarter, you felt like, well, this might be one of those second halves where, yes, the Alabama offense can keep this team in front, but it might be in a position of where it where it has to because stops uh, stops didn't come in bushels for the Alabama defense in the second half.
0: No. No, absolutely not. Alabama is up over a thousand yards of total offense combined with both teams. Alabama with uh, the majority of that, they ended up with uh, over 600 yards, if I'm not mistaken, or um, in that neighborhood. So uh, definitely uh, offensive fireworks pretty much throughout the game. Uh, I thought yards after the catch and yards after contact for that matter, were a factor, Travis. And that's not to say Alabama played great defense because they certainly did not. They gave up 400 passing yards. But I will say that, that I thought Alabama's offensive weapons ran a little freer after the catch. Um, Florida hit some big plays, but on a lot of Florida's big plays, the stop was made at the point of the catch. I think that's where a fair bit of the total yardage difference lied.
1: Yeah, you're talking about more than 140 yards in difference in in total offense. Um, you know, and there was not much of a disparity in terms of passing yards. Trash took some shots, man. You're talking about between these two offenses, I want to say there were 19 plays of 20 yards or more in the game. And only one of those came on a run play. Najee Harris had a 29-yarder there in the fourth quarter. That was the the long run of the game by by a player in the game. So, uh, look, this is what happens when you get these many playmakers on the field together. That's why that sort of sense of comfort I think a lot of people from the Alabama perspective were sensing coming off that LSU uh, win over Florida was fraudulent because Kyle Pitts did not play in that game. And if you don't think he sort of sets the table for everything that comes and everything that comes from him in that passing attack, well, you found out on Saturday night. But Kadarius Toney doesn't need a lot of help. You know, they got some matchups with him on Malachi Moore. I thought for Alabama's young sub defensive back guys like Moore and Brian Branch, it was was a learning experience in a lot of ways. And I think they'll definitely be better for it. But again, they weren't the only guys. You know Patrick Sertan is going to go in the first round of the NFL draft next spring, and he gets beaten a one-on-one by Grimes in in, in the early third quarter. There, um, you know Josh Job had a couple of uh, penalties, uh, a really tough one down there on the goal line where it looks like Alabama is forced to fumble a Kyle Trask and has the recovery, but they call Job for for offside. So it, it was far from perfect. For the Alabama back seven, I thought, especially even the inside linebackers, Dylan Moses with a couple of P.I. calls there in the second half. It was uh, it sort of unraveled a little bit there for the Alabama defense, and, and they just didn't have many answers. And that being said, I think if they get on that fumble there in the third quarter, deep on the Florida end chase, where it looks like Malachi Moore is all over the ball, but it goes under his hip. And then there's not a review of the recovery on top of that. You know, Florida, to its credit right there, that's a a 35-24 game. You know, Alabama recovers that fumble right there, clearly, and goes in on the short field. It's 42-24. The game's over. But Florida takes advantage of that good fortune and goes 87 more yards after that, and here we are at 35-31.
0: I'll tell you this. I felt like watching this game, almost every time Florida's offense looked like they were going to have to punt looked like they were getting ready to fold every time it looked like Alabama's defense was in position to get the stop that it needed. Kyle Pitts was the playmaker that kept the drive Mm -hmm. going. I mean, third down, it seemed like third down after third down and some thirds and longs. Pitts was there uh, in the middle of the field to make a catch. A lot of times in traffic, of course he made a phenomenal catch for the touchdown, but you know, and Kadarius Tony's a playmaker, and I'm a Tony fan, and, and he made his share of plays too. But I thought Pitts was Mr. Clutch for Florida in this one. And, and like you said, the, the, the LSU game with Pitts being out, it's a, it's a different team uh, depending on whether or not Pitts is in there. I, I think that's clear.
1: No, no doubt. And to your point, it, it felt that way with Pitts because it was that way. With Kyle Pitts, I mean, you had the third and 17 there in the second half that uh, Trask hits him for 20 on to convert it and keep the drive alive. So, um, you know, that was that was just a couple of plays after it looked like Alabama was all over the aforementioned fumble. You know, they don't get the recovery there. They get an incomplete on second down. They've got third and 17 from the Florida 13 and Trask hits Pitts for 20. And down the field they go, and the next thing you know, it's a four-point game. So uh, we did see that Kyle Pitts on Sunday early, it looked like he had that tweet maybe already set up in his drafts, Chase, that he was moving on to the National Football League. And, uh, you know, as Jacksonville Jaguar fans, I think uh, I wouldn't mind seeing him move about 90 miles (laughs) to the east. And, and help out our Jags. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Hey, I think Dan, I think he might've shown that tweet in his draft to Dan Mullen before the game, because Dan Mullen, <laughs> and you know, Dan Mullen is, he, he, he got a little surly, you know, I don't know if you saw his post-game press conference and look, he lost a tough game. Lost he got a- asked,
1: game, he know? got asked about some management issues. Dan doesn't like to be questioned no. on those pesky, pesky management issues. No. You know?
0: No, he doesn't. Yeah, but, he, but burning
1: he, up that timeout before the two-point conversion—you know—that mm-hmm. he could have used. You know? Yeah, he didn't like that. He didn't like that. But he makes this—he makes this cryptic,
0: somewhat cryptic comment in the post-game, saying that that this is the last game that this team's going to play. And of course, naturally, the next reporter with the with the Zoom opportunity yeah. says, "Are, are y'all going to?" Uh, are y'all going to bow out of a bowl game? Cause you just said this team's not going to play again. And of course, Mullen said, well, y'all just run with whatever you want. You know, he, he wouldn't explain what he meant was Kyle Pitts is out of there. And, and yeah. probably, probably a few other guys too. Uh, but, if Trask will play.
1: Yeah, sure. Sure. But I uh, think Trask needs to play though. I think he, I think he needs to play for what, if, if what he's thinking next is what most people think he's thinking next. Yeah.
0: How about Devontae Smith, Travis, 15 catches, 184 yards, two touchdowns. If you thought Devontae Smith deserved the Heisman Trophy went, going into this game and you got to vote, you got to vote for the guy. I mean, just a phenomenal performance by him.
1: No doubt, and that's the thing. The guy goes for a career-high 15 catches for a buck eighty-four and two touches, and we're desensitized to the point now with him where it's like, yeah, that's pretty much a standard night, you know, whereas – In a lot of years, if you went into a game and said, okay, this guy is by a nose leading the Heisman race, and he's going to catch 15 passes for 184 yards and two touchdowns, if that happens coming out of it, would you label him a slam dunk for the award, or would it really blow your hair back to see that type of performance on that kind of stage Saturday night? I think in most instances, you'd say, heck, yeah. But with Devontae and, and what he's done, especially this year, it's like, eh, that's kind of a rubber stamp. You know, his, own, his longest catch of the game, Chase, was only 31 yards. That's the kind of way we react to right. Devontae Smith games now. And, you know, he also had a 20-yard punt return. He had the recovery of the onside kick late. Um, you know, Devontae Smith, uh, he, he I don't have a vote. But but he would have it. And uh, you know, the, the Najee Harris certainly with his performance, uh, you know, a, a late surge too. But, you know, the receivers in general I thought did a good job, sure handed. Uh, but we talk about all these receiving yards, maybe one of the top three, I'm sure one of the top three plays of the game was Mechie forcing the fumble after Ooh. the interception there. That was absolutely huge. And by the way, who recovered that fumble? Devontae Smith. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, that that was an absolutely vicious hit by Mechie. and clean as it could be, uh, it was for sure. But the uh, yeah. you you in in this day and age of, of college football with targeting being what it is, you don't see impact like that quite like that as much as you used to, I don't think. But that was uh, that was some old school contact right there, no question about it, by John Mechie. You mentioned Najee Harris with the monster game. 36 touches, Travis, for Mm Najee in this one. 31 totes, five receptions, uh, well over 200 yards, 178 rushing, 67 receiving. So I guess that's in the neighborhood of uh, 230, 240, I guess, and and total yardage. But uh, offensive line did a great job for him once again. He ground out a lot of big plays for Alabama, a lot of first downs, average 5.7 yards uh, per carry. Um, this guy is, um, this guy is steaming toward the record books. I I, I tell you, it's, uh, halfway through his Alabama career with two years of eligibility in the books for Najee Harris. I didn't see this coming.
1: I didn't see it coming after a couple of games, uh, last year, you know, because he wasn't really setting the woods on fire. Uh, early in the 2019 season. And then they went to South Carolina and he had a pretty memorable f- performance and a win there in Columbia. And it kind of just took its own life from there, took, took a life of its own uh, from that point forward. And um, it, it's just been a, an incredible March uh, since that point. And uh, he's already, he's taken over the career touchdown mark uh, for rushing touchdowns now by himself. He's also in terms of total touchdowns, Uh, He's now atop that list of the the career uh, perspective at Alabama. And then something else he did on Saturday night, he took over as the all-time career leading rusher at Alabama, surpassed Derrick Henry in the game. So, yeah, he kind of owns them all right now in terms of the ones that you think about the most. And, you know, he didn't have a touchdown catch this season before Saturday night. That was kind of a wild stat going through the season because he had seven last year uh, but then he, he more than makes up for that, uh, against the Gators with three touchdown grabs, averages, 13.4 per catch and, um, career high tied to career high with those 31 carries. Wanted to ask you too, Travis,
0: about your thoughts on Alabama's end of game strategy to put this thing away. They get the ball, they get a first down, uh, they're looking to kill the clock, Second down and third down, they've got Josh McMillan in the game in that goal line fullback goal in the middle of the field. Uh, Florida gets uh, the stops you would expect. It's kind of, I, you know, they telegraphed what they were going to do, I think, with McMillan in the game. Florida gets the ball back, and, of course, as it turned out, there weren't enough seconds left for the Gators to, to do much of anything. So, look, it worked. At the end of the day, that's all that matters—that it works. But I, I found it curious for a couple of reasons. Number one, um, if you're really just playing to kill seconds and you're not playing for the first down, then why not just kneel it twice? Because then you're you're taking away the risk of a fumble, because uh, you know Florida is going to be grabbing at the ball if if, if you're going to you know run a couple of plays like they did. And if you real if you want the first down. Uh, they get Josh McMillan out of the game and go for the first down. Uh, seemed like they kind of went with the with the tweener approach there. And again, it worked. It was just a little surprising me to see them handle it that way.
1: No, while it was going on, I tweeted during the game. If I'm not legitimately trying to make a first down in this spot, I probably don't hand the ball off. You know, that just seems like you're you're asking for it a little bit. If you're old enough to remember Joe Pisarcik. The New York Giants about 100 years ago, a uh, game against the Philadelphia Eagles. They're just running out the clock. They, they weren't even in a situation, I don't think the Giants were, where they were going to have to punt the ball. They literally could have just fallen down on the ball, and the clock would have run out. Instead, they try to hand the ball to Larry Zonka, I believe it was at the time, very late in his career. They botched the handoff. Herm Edwards, now the head coach at Arizona State, then a defensive back for the Philadelphia Eagles scoops up the fumble, runs it in as time expires and the Eagles beat the Giants. I was having some Pasarczyk flashbacks from my youth. And even, you know, even with the way, even with the way we saw a high school team handle it here in Tuscaloosa a couple of weeks ago, not sure if you saw the Auburn uh, Thompson, seven, uh, a state title game, the missed. end of that, um, it, 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 there was sort of this in-between approach that you spoke to. And then you end up having to punt the ball. Well, Thompson got the, Thompson blocked the punt. Thompson was down nine, okay? Thompson blocks the punt, runs that in, and there's still only 20 seconds left in the game. But they hit on the onside kick, get a pass interference call, and then kick a 35, 38-yard field goal to win the game mm. at, in in the 7A state title game. But it, I, I'm with you, you know once you declared based on your personnel that you're not even considering throwing the football and I understand even out of that personnel, you could take a play action shot, something like that. But, um, I, I would have felt better about just sneaking it, kneeling on it, anything, but I'll say this, Charlie Scott came in and delivered a very nice punt down to about the four to 10. And they were able to, that was scary too, because Tony can house that thing, you know, from anywhere. Uh, but they did a really good job of coverage on a nice punt by Charlie Scott to, you know, effectively end the game. Now, I mean, Christian Harris, I think it was on the next play, got a sack of Trask, and that was it. But uh, I'm with you. I, I thought it was it was a little bit touch and go there, I thought.
0: Landon Dickerson, heart and soul of that offensive line, pretty much all season long. Travis gets hurt. He's going to be out for the CFP. Sounds like, according to Nick Saban's, pretty serious knee injury. Um, tough, tough way for him to go out. A guy that had a, actually a lot of injury issues during his time at Florida State, relatively healthy the last couple of years at Alabama, uh, and catches uh, a pretty bad knee injury right before the playoff. You got a feel for the guy. And, and you could tell, by the way, how well-liked I think he is on this team by the number of players that uh, were walking up to the cart before he got out of there.
1: No doubt about it. Um, and you said it, at Florida state, he had a couple of tough injuries, including an ACL in Tallahassee. Uh, the the knee injury, uh, didn't look good at the time. And then you heard from Nick Saban on Sunday that, as you said, Lane and Collins out for the college football playoff. And you're right. You hate it first and foremost for him. Uh, he was named Sunday night, one of Alabama's four permanent captains for the season. He, Alex Leatherwood, Mac Jones, and Devontae Smith. I don't know if I can recall a year, Chase, in which all four permanent captains were from one side of the football. Mm -hmm. All offensive guys. I mean, it is what this team's about. I I get that, but it's still interesting to note nonetheless. But uh, we did see Chris Owens, another fifth-year senior, jump in there in place. Of Landon Dickerson. Of course, Owens was the guy who was the starter at center a year ago before Dickerson took that over. Um, so it sounds as if uh, it'll be Chris Owens moving forward. And uh, that there, there's there's good news in that, in that this is a guy who started games for you at the position. He's obviously been around the program. He's another one of these fifth-year seniors, so you like that. But I agree. I don't, I don't think there's uh, any doubt there's, there's some drop-off. Uh, not just tangibly, but intangibly uh, when you when you lose a guy like Landon Dickerson. Talk Tide podcast at podbean.com,
0: iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and tune in the Twitter feed talking underscore Tide. And we're going to thank a couple of sponsors really quickly here before we move on to discuss uh, the CFP final rankings, which came out uh, here on Sunday. But first, going to tell you about North River Dental Associates. Now, you got to get your teeth clean. Twice a year, if you want to hang on to those choppers, you only got one set. You got to take care of them. And if you live anywhere around the Tuscaloosa area, the only place to do it is North River Dental Associates with Dr. Jack Smalley and his super staff of professional dental hygienists. They're not too harsh on those gums. They do a fantastic, thorough job. And they do it quickly on a routine cleaning, especially if you go regularly like you're supposed to. You're going to get in and out of there really quick. My youngest daughter uh, had an issue with a filling just about 10 days ago. She had a great experience in and out of there as well. I trust Dr. Jack with my whole family, and Travis does as well. Now, if you'd like to make an appointment, you can go online and catch them at NorthRiverDentist.com, or you can give them a call at 752 3506 they do every kind of dental work under the sun including those teeth whitening services that a lot of people like uh for events and whatnot uh dr jack can do it all again it's north river dental associates in fairfax park
1: i'll tell you something else i love about north river dental before you even get out of the chair from that routine cleaning they've got you scheduled for your next one six months from then it's awesome uh you, you, it's not a situation where you even go to the front after the cleaning before you get out of the chair you are lined up and so it makes it it takes all the thought process out of it you're good to go and then they notify you well in advance that you're cleaning your appointment is upcoming and so uh, they keep you in the loop love that about north river dental as well hey i'm going to tell you about southern Ale House, also in the indian hill section of tuscalese out there at 1530 mcfarland boulevard north in the indian hill section of Tuscaloosa, Good Bread, I was in there Friday night. And Friday night is prime rib night at Southern Ale House. So, you know I had to do it. And they bring out this slab of prime rib. look like something Fred Flintstone you know, <laughs> used to get served up on his plate. You know what I'm talking about? Probably I was in about... there Friday night. I missed you. I must yeah, have come later. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I guess I got in there before you because they still had some Jack Daniels left. Anyway, <laughs> um, this prime rib... <laughs> This prime rib must have been an inch and a quarter thick. Good bread. Cooked perfectly, man. And they had the twice-baked potatoes for the this the special, the uh, side special of the night. So of course I had to get the twice-baked potato with the prime rib. And just to be healthy, good bread, I got the steamed broccoli for the other side, you know, because I, I wanna be I wanna be healthy while I eat this enormous prime rib, which was out of this world, but it was just a great night. Uh, great folks. They take great care of you there at Southern Ale House. That entire menu is tremendous. If you didn't get in on the holiday catering this time around, I would certainly recommend it in future years. Uh, great, great stuff there at Southern Ale House, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North. Also late last week, I got by Heat Pizza Bar. I go down to Government Plaza a lot of times right there in the center of downtown Tuscaloosa and I'll walk that government plaza park you know try to get some steps in good bread and sometimes though when i walk that park i take a hard right into that front door there at heat pizza bar and it never disappoints at heat it heat pizza bar i got the thai chicken pizza last thursday night sat at the bar maybe had me a mixed drink got a couple of pizzas to go for the fam And uh, it was great, as always, Frank and the crew at Heat Pizza Bar. It is just out of this world. I'm just saying, the best pizza I've ever put in my mouth, and I've been to Chicago, been to New York, been to Greenwich Village. I've been to Brooklyn. Okay, I've been to Queens. I've had the Chicago style, which is more casserole than actual pizza. None of it, none of it tops Heat Pizza Bar. Downtown Tuscaloosa at Government Plaza
0: like a tractor beam on your walk over there that <laughs> that walk.
1: my steering my 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 steering yeah uh talking tide podcast at podbean.com
0: iTunes Google Play Stitcher, and tune in chase Goodbread here along with Travis Ryer we're going to talk CFP here a few more minutes before we get out of here for this episode of the talking tide podcast and Travis things broke with the CFP, exactly. It was all chalk, right? Alabama, number one. Uh, Of course, you had Notre Dame sliding in there at number four, despite a pretty ugly loss to Clemson in the ACC title game. That'll be the Rose Bowl matchup, of course. The Crimson Tide and Notre Dame. We'll be talking about that one uh, extensively here on the podcast before that one goes off. And then, of course, you'll have Uh, Clemson and Ohio State, who were the two and three seeds, squaring off in the Sugar Bowl. Uh, A couple of thoughts about how things broke. Of course, Texas A&M on the outside looking in, finished at number five. Oklahoma ends up at number six. I just want to know, Travis, how do you justify Ohio State at three over Notre Dame at four? I mean, look, and I don't want to hear about the uh, I I get it. Clemson ripped them. I get it. They're the first team to make the playoff, if I'm not mistaken, having lost a conference championship game. But if you want to talk about resume, okay, let's look at what Ohio State did versus what Notre Dame did. You can't. I don't think you could justify putting Ohio State over Notre Dame. But, of course, it broke that way because the CFP is not going to match Clemson and Notre Dame for a third time this season unless they have to in the final.
1: Yeah, I think you you answered it perfectly right there. Um, you you, you th- it's not supposed to be that way. That's what they tell us, right? But absolutely, they did not want to give us not only a rematch from the conference championship game, but a third matchup this season of the the Irish and the Tigers. And given the way that game went down in Charlotte on Saturday afternoon, I think they also figured. There wasn't going to be a lot of intrigue. There wasn't going to be a lot of interest. Now, look, if that game had gone to overtime on Saturday and Clemson had won, to tie things up at 1-1, okay, then maybe you go ahead with the third game in a semifinal. But with the way Clemson dominated, that wasn't going to sell at all. Um, so you get the helmets with Alabama and Notre Dame on the fields together. You had a great semifinal a year ago with Clemson and Ohio State because you can sell, so you can sell that uh, as well. Uh, and that's that's it pretty much laid out the way I expected it to mostly because of what you said about Notre Dame um, and Clemson not meeting for a third time, at least not in a in a semifinal. What do you think of
0: Jimbo's argument over <laughs> in college stage?
1: Uh, I wish Jimbo would slow down so I could understand you know half of what Jimbo says. But, um, you know, Jimbo did what he had to do. You know, that's what you have to do in that scenario. He, he's right in that. You know, before you've seen one loss, non-conference champion SEC teams, Alabama, uh, get into the, the college football playoffs. So there had been a precedent there for that. Um, but I, I didn't ever get the feeling, and I know the committee chairman on Sunday seemed to be pretty high on the fact that, you know, in comparison to, say, Notre Dame, when really probably the comparison should have been, with Texas A&M and Ohio State more than Notre Dame, but it, it sort of came down to Notre Dame and A&M that the committee liked Notre Dame's other win in addition to Clemson, that being a road win over North Carolina, uh, maybe more so than than they liked the depth of wins for A&M. But look, this is a season in which you know, as we know, it was conference only in the SEC. So I think Jimbo's argument had some merit too. I think. I think A and M needed though one more, one more high quality win to leave with the the committee here down the stretch, and you know games like Tennessee that wasn't that wasn't going to get it done on the the last Saturday before the the final four was selected.
0: The semifinals, in my opinion, and I, I haven't done the math on it, but just uh, my blush opinion on it semifinals tend to be routes. We had a lot of runaways over the history of the CFP and semifinal action. So a couple some of them have been close, uh, but a lot of them have been runaways. What do you see in these semifinals, Travis? Do you see runaways in these two games for Alabama and Clemson, who are pretty much prohibitive, number one and number two? Or do you think both of these will be tight?
1: You know, I think I like this is just very early uh, in the in the previewing process. I think I like Notre Dame's chances of covering, is it 19 or something like that, that the Irish are getting against Alabama? I think I like Notre Dame's chances better of covering 19 more so than I do uh, Ohio State covering six and a half or seven, whatever it is with Clemson. Um, I, I, I can see where both games don't end up being tight tight in terms of, you know, needing the entire 60 minutes to, uh, come to a a conclusion. Well, with the, uh, with the final result. Um, but you know, I, I, you know, I, I, that looked a lot like 2012 Notre Dame, I thought against Clemson on Saturday, but I, I do in all seriousness, definitely think this is, A Notre Dame team that is, as we heard Brian Kelly say on Sunday, is better prepared for what it's going to see next. Now that may not matter. I think there's obviously still a a drop off from uh, Alabama. You know, when you talk about Notre Dame, but yeah, I I, I don't I don't see Alabama Notre Dame, especially with the Dickerson injury now, and who knows what happens with Jalen Waddle. You know, it could be a trade-off. Who knows if Waddle's going to be good to go. Maybe it's more of a championship game scenario where that's a possibility. But my initial reaction, Chase, was that, that I think Notre Dame has a better chance of covering the 19 than Ohio State does the six and a half against Clemson. What did you think?
0: Ohio State didn't impress me at all, and I don't think they impressed anybody against Northwestern. There's something not right. There's something out of sync with that offense. And look, I know Trey Sermon ran for a million yards, but if you watch that game in the second half, Northwestern's defense looked like eleven cardboard cutouts. To, <laughs> he's not effort. running for four hundred against Clemson, is what you're no, saying? No, yeah. no, he's not. So, uh, and you know, Fields wasn't right, and uh, apparently, there's something wrong with his thumb. And look, the thumb on a throwing hand is a big deal. But whatever the problem is, whether it's a thumb or not, they better straighten that out fast against that Clemson offense.
1: They better. They better because uh, they're going to have to be able to score. Clemson's going to score. And I think the scary thought for Ohio State and the winner of Alabama, Notre Dame, potentially, is that uh, Clemson appears committed more maybe going into this postseason to Trevor Lawrence's legs than Clemson was a year ago. I've said it before, but I thought in the title game against LSU last time around, Clemson really left a lot out there offensively because they didn't make good enough use of Lawrence, the runner, on design stuff and things like that. I don't think that'll be the case this time around. I won't be surprised if Clemson plays two games in this playoff to see Trevor Lawrence well north of 30 combined carries in those two games.
0: Yeah, and he had some nice runs against Notre Dame too.
1: Yeah, he did.
0: on uh, on Saturday, that, that, that's what
1: that's what got me thinking. Dabo ain't doing that again. I think Dabo watched that LSU film and thought, well, "Why did we stop letting Trevor keep it on some mm-hmm. of that zone read stuff?" And because I mean, you have to absolutely gang up on Travis Etienne. I mean, you have to. And and Lawrence is a good enough runner anyway. Yeah,
0: yeah. For you'd think a guy six six that stands that tall in a pocket wouldn't be able to kill you on the ground, but he absolutely can. Sure he can. Uh, he's yeah. he knows what he's doing. He's he's fast. He's pretty quick, and he's instinctive. You know, he sometimes he gets behind those offensive linemen and just grabs him by the back of the jersey and rides him. Uh, and uh, and for
1: being honest about the Alabama defense, potentially in a matchup with Clemson, you haven't seen many Alabama linebackers just absolutely stone folks. You know, uh, or or you know, make make type of Reuben Foster type hits. So I don't know if you go into a game against Alabama all that worried about the physicality of it at the linebacker level. And, and now I'm not talking as much about Will Anderson. I don't think you want that guy hitting your quarterback. Um, but, you know, until Dylan Moses, and uh, we saw this against Missouri, I guess, in the opener, but since, there, there, there's not a lot of footage of those guys just absolutely stoning running backs or quarterbacks in the run game.
0: That is going to do it for this edition of the Talking Tide podcast. Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. Travis and I will be back with you uh, a few days before uh, New Year's Day when Alabama takes on Notre Dame in the Rose Bowl for the national semifinal. Kind of halfway between Christmas and New Year's, uh, we will be back with a preview podcast. Looking forward to doing it. Until then, we'll talk to you next time on Talking Tide.